Episode 232, Cliff Hazel, Leadership Coach and Startup Advisor, formerly of Spotify. I set a lot of people on fire and caused some fairly dramatic things uh, in this particular situation by... I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Cliff and his services, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake232. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. We're joined today by Cliff Hazel. Cliff has made a career of breaking down the obstacles that stand in the way of great work. He's often challenging the status quo in his quest to develop the right culture and systems for the creation of excellent companies and products. After a tour of addresses across South Africa, Cliff moved to Stockholm, where he led a team of coaches at Spotify for four years. And Cliff now helps scale ups Uh, as they're called, remove their growth pains, enabling them to create focus, find leverage, and build habits. And uh, additionally, not the the highest point on your resume, Cliff, but uh, he was a a guest of mine on a different podcast series I do called Lean Whiskey, um, episode 19. So Cliff, it's good to talk to you again. Thank you for joining us here on My Favorite Mistake. Indeed, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. I, I, you probably don't chalk that up as a huge mistake doing the Lean Whiskey podcast with me, though. That was that was fun. We we didn't drink enough whiskey for me to consider it a mistake, perhaps. Uh, so yeah, we we might have to do better next time. <laughs> Does whiskey lead to mistakes? Undoubtedly, uh, yes. But yes, I, I would suspect so. <laughs> we are we are drinking water now, even though it is evening uh, in Stockholm. Uh, from where Cliff uh, is joining us here, uh, middle of the day, too early for that. So I will, I will stick with it. I, I'm not hiding anything in my coffee mug other than even water. <laughs> and, and this is water, not not vodka or anything fancy. So, uh, yeah, well, well established. Good, good to clarify. So, um, with all of that, you know, there's a lot we can talk about from the work you do and your different experiences, Cliff. But uh, we'll dive right in as we uh, as we normally do here. You know, the different things you've done in your career. What would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake. So, I, I gave this quite a lot of thought because I've I've listened to a few episodes in the past, and a lot of people have these really great mistakes, and I I wanted to have uh, something that I thought was interesting. Um, so the story that I have is one about my own personal kind of learning journey. Uh, I have a very direct style most of the time in my work. Uh, and I, if you want sort of the short version of the story, I would say my mistake is about starting to doubt that as a result of a series of events that happened, uh, and basically pulling back, uh, from using that strength. Uh, I later learned some some tools that helped me to figure out a little bit of where it can be helpful and where it can be problematic. Uh, but I, I set a lot of people on fire and caused some fairly dramatic things uh, in this particular situation by perhaps using it in a misguided way or uh, too aggressive an approach uh, at the time. So, yeah. Wow. Um, so 
I mean, you know, I appreciate you sharing that and, you know, kind of summarizing, maybe we can, we can dig into some examples or, you know, however you want to tell it of maybe first, you know, at times or a kind of typical way where that direct style served you well or worked well with others. And then, you know, you talk about that sequence of events where, where, mm. where did that strength become a, a weakness as they sometimes say? So I think the thing is the, the the mistake for me is is one of these things of starting to doubt myself in that situation. And so the scenario where I would often use this would be you imagine a situation, a bunch of work colleagues going out for lunch, uh, and there's a lot of discussion. Should we go there? Should we go here? Should we go this other place? Uh, you end up spending almost 30 minutes discussing where <laughs> to go, and then you have no time for the actual lunch. Um, so usually what I would do in that situation is to say, you know, I want to go here. What do you think? And most people would be like, yeah, sure. Or, you know, maybe one person would be, oh, I'm vegetarian. And like, okay, cool. Well, you know, they've got this thing on the menu or we can go this other place. Um, but just kind of pushing the group towards a decision. Um, the particular situation that I had in mind where this started to become a problem, I'd, I'd been working uh, with one of the teams that I worked with at Spotify. Um, and it was funny because I was listening to the episode you did with Kevin Goldsmith uh, as well. And um, he has some really interesting, uh, there's some overlap between some of the teams that we were talking about there. Um, but the situation was, I, I was relatively new at the company, trying to prove myself and kind of in the early stages of, of working with the organization. I was working with a group of folks uh, who had been quite effective as a team, but there was this sort of pattern of quite often uh, getting stuck in kind of circular debates. Uh, and in one particular situation, there was a quite in-depth discussion where I lost my cool and, and ended up uh, swearing at a number of the folks in the context of a meeting. Um, the context was basically a discussion around recruitment. Uh, and the conversation was basically going, well, you know, we need more headcounts uh, and we need to be able to hire in the future. And I was like, dudes, I, I hear this, but we have 15 open headcount right now. You've managed to fill three in the last, you know, 12 weeks. How about we go and effing hire a bunch of people before we have this conversation about where do we get more headcount uh, and so on? Uh, the senior lead of the area turned to me and was like, well, you know, dude, that's a great point, uh, but there's also no need to kill us with it. Uh, and that was fairly brutal feedback uh, to me at that particular point in time. Uh, and I felt that certainly with a number of members of the team who I'd been building trust with up until that point, I'd burnt a lot of bridges. Uh, they were quite frustrated that I was kind of sort of bashing them and attacking them in front of their boss, who was the VP who was in the room. Uh, and yeah, a lot of, uh, there, there was a fair amount of fallout as a result uh, of um, the slightly abridged version of the story that I've told you uh, in the last few seconds. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes we don't get that feedback. Right. Yeah. People don't like the way you're behaving, but they don't say anything in the moment or sure. after the fact. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of a cliche or it's easy to throw around talk, you know, uh, you know, oh, feedback is a gift. I mean, it's it's it. I mean, what, what what did you do then in the face of that feedback, either kind of in the moment or afterwards in terms of relationship repair, yeah. if that was needed? Um I'll be honest. I mean, it knocked my confidence for probably a good few months. Um, it, it was sort of a, a, a sort of a full stop at the end of a series of events that had occurred, and I, I was quite frustrated. Um, I, I had luckily had a, a coach who I'd been working with at the time who was guiding me through some of this and, and talking to me about some of the challenges and kind of unpacking, you know, 
what what maybe was the challenge in here um but yeah definitely felt pretty pretty knocked by it uh led to me withdrawing and probably not leaning into a number of things that uh, would have been far more effective for me to be involved in uh because i i felt like oh well you know i i'm clearly my style is not working and there is a problem here uh i'm obviously the problem and so i need to go and figure out how to fix myself um and yeah it's uh as you say feedback is a gift but sometimes not all gifts are wanted uh and sure. it certainly doesn't yeah. doesn't make it hurt any less in those situations yeah um so yeah so did like one other question about the feedback i mean do do you think was was the issue the cursing or even without cursing was it a matter of tone even that that bothered them I, I think it was partly the fact that my role was supposed to be a coach and I was expressing strong opinions in this context. Um, the actual cursing, I think, maybe was a bit harsh for the specific context, but maybe, you know, it's not like people were sensitive to to swearing. Um, I think a lot of it was just that case of like, you know, f- for me, I, w- I was getting frustrated and it didn't necessarily create uh kind of the improvement that i was looking for uh in that situation certainly didn't in my area it it maybe lit a fire under one or two people who were like actually yeah why the hell are we still talking about this we've been going around in circles about this hiring question instead of actually hiring some people we're discussing when are we going to get more headcount um I had some interesting revelations about why they were behaving that way in sort of my learning that that came from it over the the, the coming weeks and months but um yeah it it definitely it, it caused a number of side conversations and derailed that team for a good few weeks while there was conversation about a few of those activities. Yeah. Well, and, and Cliff is, is, I mean, I think you said, you know, fairly clearly the mistake wasn't even just how you had behaved there, but the, re, the, the mistake was doubting yourself too much. Um, I was just curious to, to, you know, if you could reflect on some of the thought process of you, you, you talk about this decision, so as you put it, to work on yourself, another decision or path could have been like, well, I should go find a, a different place where this style is welcomed or accepted or finding a better fit. You know, do you, do you change yourself or do you change where you are? Um, how, how much did you think through some of that? So I, I had considered that already. Um, the part of the challenge was that preceding this, I had been working in another part of the company where I I had clashed with somebody else uh, in a similar manner. And my approach to that had been to leave that part of the company and move somewhere new. Um, I, in retrospect, I do think that that was a good decision uh, because that, that situation wasn't likely to pan out any differently. Um, but there, there definitely was this kind of fear of like, this is my, my kind of my chance. If I, if I don't fix this, I, I might actually get fired from my dream job. Uh, and that was kind of the fear. So it was like, you know, I need to find a way to somehow make this work. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's natural in those situations sometimes, especially when you get feedback from someone who you particularly value and look up to, uh, to, to get harsh and critical feedback without necessarily some kind of, you know, clear insight on what you could do differently. Um, that, that can be very t- tough and challenging. So it, it told me a lot about how I give feedback, uh, ironically as well from perhaps the, I don't, I don't say their bad example necessarily, but just from how it made me feel given how that feedback was delivered to me. Um, right. Right. So, 
did did that leader i mean you talked about it sounded like going to others to get some counsel or advice did did that executive who had um i don't know scolded you in that meeting did they follow up with you for you know kind of a little bit more of a debrief or or discussion or did, do do you think like was was their point made and and i mean i'm just curious your relationship with that person um i i wouldn't say i have much of a relationship with them now like i, I don't have any beef with them no. or anything but, but i mean uh, then at the time did they yeah. follow up with you there was a follow-up conversation that ironically made it worse. Um, they doubled down on the criticism and kind of rubbed my nose in it further, which I think is perhaps partly what what didn't help. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's sort of a side-on thing. And I, I guess um, the, the sort of the piece of it that I took away from it was that, you know, I probably needed to figure out something about how I was going to approach these situations better because I couldn't be derailed by something like this uh, constantly. It, 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 you, you can't be effective if you're doubting yourself constantly, I don't think. So um, there's, there's obviously a balance, you know, overconfidence can be problematic as well, but uh, underconfidence I think leads to, you know, not, not actually taking any initiative and not getting on with many of the things. Cause you know, it's certainly how I felt in that moment. Yeah. So how, I mean, in, I'm I'm curious then there's sort of you know the two pieces of this question of how much do you moderate directness or the way the directness is expressed versus finding moderation around self-confidence or kind of recovering with your self-confidence. Right. I mean, in in the years past that point and and even to where you are today in your work and your career, like how how would you say? that's progressed in terms of, um, I think, as you, as you just said, maybe, you know, balance or moderation. So, so there were two particular insights that came together that, that really helped me with that. Um, the first was a conversation with someone who had, uh, been coaching me on some of these situations. And I was expressing my frustration about this particular interaction. Um, and, this coach got up and they, he drew on the wall a, a picture of a sailboat. And he asked me and he just said, so that that, that problem that you were describing, could you describe to me if, if that problem was a cannonball and it hit the ship, where would it hit the ship? Um, and I kind of looked at him and was like, what do you mean? And he's like, just draw for me. Like, where where would it hit the ship? And I realized that actually a lot of the problems and specifically the one that we were talking about, which was this recruitment scenario that I had lost my cool over, uh, it certainly wasn't hitting the ship in sort of the main deck of the ship mm -hmm. and going to sink the ship. Yeah, right. And what what I realized in this, and I've, I've actually used this as a technique many times myself when I, I work with folks who are facing similar sort of challenges, you know, it, it taught me firstly just to kind of look at these situations and say, well, what actually is the impact of this thing? Is this something that I need to deal with? Is it something that uh, is a major issue? Would there be a problem, you know, if we take a few hits uh, or not? Um, and that that really helped me in terms of trying to sort of assess and prepare myself for the situation um, so that I could sort of measure my reaction and respond appropriately. Um, because I think often I was I was getting sort of a level of energy and frustration that was coming out perhaps that uh, was not really appropriate for the situation or for the particular context. And so um, that that could be something or that is something that, that was super helpful for me. Um, 
I mentioned that there was a, a second one, which was a, a conversation. Um, I think you actually know Joanna Rothman. Um, I'd had a conversation. No, actually, not really. No. Not. Okay. No. Um, we may have to fix that then. Okay. Um, <laughs> I trust yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I was having a conversation with her, um, actually, and she she was talking to me about a very similar situation uh, that I was dealing with at, at a slightly different, it, it was a little bit earlier in my career, but that insight reflected uh, and came back to me at this particular point. Um, she was saying that one of the things that she tries to do when she's uh, communicating and working with people is obviously the, she has a goal of some kind of change she's trying to make. I think that's usually the thing that we want. Um, and the idea was that, you know, if you're trying to communicate with people, you want them to really hear it. And so the reflection for her was to try to think, or for me at least, was to try to think about what are the other people looking for in this situation and how can I help them achieve that? And so what I realized was in, in, in reflecting on this uh, as a result of the conversation about the sailboat uh, was that most of the time those leads were actually thinking much longer term. I was thinking about a very short term tactical thing of like, we're talking about this now, but long term, we may need a lot more headcount that we don't have. Um, and so what that helped me to kind of realize is that maybe I should, uh, you know, take into account a little bit of what they were doing uh, and meet them where they are. And maybe I could ask some slightly different questions to guide them. So, you know, things that I came up with in that situation were something along the lines of, you know, um, when would be a good time to ask for more headcount and maybe things like what might help us uh, convince the people uh, around who decide, you know, how the headcount is allocated. How would we, you know, what would we need to do in order to do that? Um, and I, I think in those sort of situations, what's really helpful is that it made me realize that it's not necessarily that I was using the skill, like it wasn't the skill that was the problem. It wasn't my style or approach. It was much more the context in which I used it. Um, and I, I found this hugely helpful in terms of, you know, as I said already, this thing of assessing and preparing uh, myself for the situation, responding appropriately, but also to be able to teach others who've been through these similar situations, because I definitely don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot of people have gotten frustrated, lost their cool in certain situations and gone, you know, just flip a table kind of thing. Like, you know, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Why are we still talking about this kind of thing? Yeah. And yeah, tools can certainly be helpful to to find a way through those kind of things. Yeah. I'm smiling, but not because I've literally flipped a table, but there are, there are times where I've kind of, you know, flipped out uh, about something. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think, Learning to, I, I think you made really good points, you know, around the coaching and the reflection of trying to think of like, well, you know, how to paraphrase back, how serious is the situation? Or, you know, some people might say, uh, pick your battles or, or maybe make sure the, the the response is commensurate with um, the situation. That's That's something I've tried to reflect on personally. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you just not without telling the whole story, but you know, one mistake I made and I, I was on Zoom with somebody. It was a one on one situation and there was something that upset me. And I thought I was pausing to take a breath. But you can imagine that, like the body language was me looking away. And I think, pardon me, Fitz, I think my deep breath came, sounded like like it was a huff. <laughs> it was not it was not a calming deep breath or at least to, that, <laughs> to that other person. So I, I had failed in my attempt to pause, you know, yeah. if I had been off zoom, if I could have held the phone away for a second, 
you know, kind of a, a different situation. So anyway, I share that just back in the spirit of, you know, some of my own um, yeah. journey of, of, of in, in terms of regulating um, reaction to things. I certainly have a way to go still on that. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, as, as the title of your book, you know, the, the mistakes that make us, I, I regularly reflect back on this particular situation. I've I've actually written a couple of uh, blog posts about aspects of it. And specifically the sailboat metaphor is one that I, I mean, I, I would say there's probably very few weeks that go by where I don't think about a situation that I'm getting like uh, about something. And it's like, okay, but where is it going to hit the boat? Yeah, And yeah. usually it's not nearly as serious as I think it is. It's just that in the moment I'm like, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that that's that's a powerful and helpful analogy or or image to keep in your mind uh, about about the sailboats. That's that's definitely a good good takeaway. Um, you 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 had mentioned Cliff. Um, you had mentioned Kevin. Um, is uh, you're you're the third former Spotify person um, who I've uh, interviewed and, and and people kind of in my, ex- you and I have met and, 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 and talked uh, a number of times, but within sort of my network of people, you know, the, the former Spotify uh, folks are doing interesting things and, and mm. um, you know, I appreciate them, uh, not just Kevin Goldsmith, Ward Villamont, um, you know, yeah. previously on here, I, I can put links to their episodes uh, in, in the show notes, but I, I was, I was going to ask you for your perspective, Cliff, from your experiences you know, kind of um, thinking back and, and characterizing at Spotify, um, you know, the culture of learning from mistakes. Like, what what stands out to you as you think back about that time? I, I think it's interesting because obviously there's there's different experiences in the moment where maybe you're sitting right close to a problem and going like, "Why are we doing this thing again? Making a mistake." Uh, there's also the benefit, and especially listening to Kevin talking about it, uh, we, we worked in the same area for a period of time, uh, and th- that's how we met originally. Um, and hearing him talk about some of those things, realizing like th- there actually was a lot more learning than maybe it may have felt uh, in the day-to-day. Um, and I, I think that's part of what is actually quite fascinating about it is that I now also have the benefit uh, of having you know been outside of the company for a while. I work with other companies. I work with my own kind of business and different challenges that I'm facing in in that kind of work environment, and realizing just how hard it is actually to learn on a very consistent basis. Um, and so, like this, I mean, the story that Kevin told, you know, with, with that, without kind of going into too much detail, just of that, like, hey, we made a bunch of mistakes, and then we realized why, and then we went and did something about it. There's there's a lot of companies that I've worked with and seen, uh, you know, where there's just this thing of like, well, we just chipped the thing, and we didn't even bother to check what happened, mm-hmm. um, and you know that kind of an approach, which yeah, yeah, alone I think not is, wanting to admit the mistake, not even wanting to check and see, right? Yeah. And and if there is something, generally the all of the data gets presented often as like we have to justify or explain what's going well. And um, I've worked a lot with companies that have loads and loads of metrics. And one of the challenges I find with that is that you can always find one number that looks good. Um, if your bag of tricks is huge, you can pull out whatever works today and go look. You know this thing is going up. It's like, yeah, but we, we all know that the business is trying to perform better in the over, in the aggregate, and and that's clearly not yet happening so 
you know, we can tell ourselves that story, but it's it's obviously important. So, I mean, your question about the culture at Spotify, I, I mean, I look back on that experience as a profoundly positive experience over the course of my life. Uh, I think there's very few people who get to see a company that is actually living and breathing and doing this stuff in person. Um, I, I'm, I think especially in, and I, I don't sort of mean to be critical of the agile industry as a whole, but a lot of folks are talking about things in an aspirational sense rather than from what they've actually seen. Uh, and one of the advantages that I think the folks who've spent time at Spotify is that they can draw an experience of like, hey, we actually did these things. We didn't just read it in a book or hear a story or an idea about it. You know, when, when you actually, you know, knuckle down and build a collaborative system across a few hundred people uh, that does go in one direction for a few weeks and then go, actually, that's totally the wrong de decision. Let's go in the other direction. Like that, that's a totally different experience to sort of the idea of everybody talks about, you know, iteration and incrementalism, but very few do it on the frequency and the cadence that the company was doing. And so I think it's quite fascinating. Yeah. Well, and it's um, fascinating to where people want to come and visit a company like Spotify. And it, you, exactly. you had an interesting LinkedIn post, uh, encourage people to go uh, find and connect with uh, Cliff on, on LinkedIn. He's making real good use of that platform and sharing in different formats. And and, and one of those posts was, um, you know, your four reflections on your time at Spotify. And one that stood out in particular was your advice um or your caution about going and visiting perfection. And I've seen like where people want to go visit Toyota because they think they're visiting perfection or some particular health system that's doing great work with lean and improvement. Tell, tell us more about sort of the caution there. And I, I think you had an interesting recommendation in that post of what we should do otherwise instead of trying to go visit perfection. Yeah, so... I, I think there's a number of things that are interesting, and it's it's obviously the case that no company is totally perfect. Um, I, I I lost count, as I said in the post, of how many people you know through an interview process were going. You know, you ask them, "Well, why do you want to work here?" And they're like, "Well, you know, I want to see what what perfection looks like." And obviously, you know, it's it it's not the case. Um, Spotify had a totally different set of challenges and some new things that are are totally different. Um, what I what I like to suggest to people is to think about the types of problems that you enjoy working on. Um, some people like very early stage, sort of super messy, like complicated in that sort of a sense type of problems. Other people want something that is much more. Uh, I don't I don't mean to sound like it's sort of simple and hard problems because that's not the point. But it's there's a different set of problems that exist in a larger scaled organization. Uh, it's going to be smaller incremental kind of optimizations rather than bigger radical about faces and turns. Uh, if you want some rules and structure, or if you don't like any rules and structure, you know, th there's no right and wrong. There's just different preferences. And so I, I think a lot of it is to go and look at the problems that you want to, to deal with. And, you know, if you're bored of solving the first tier of like, you know, getting a startup off the ground, probably don't go work at a startup. <laughs> you know, right. uh, but if you hate uh, having to, you know, do anything in a system with any kind of rules or structure, you know, probably a, a more corporate and scaled company is not going to be suited to you. So um, I think it's worth considering that and and trying to match. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of people who ask me, you know, this thing of like, well, if I can't change my company, what should I do? And I say, well, there's a number of things that you can do differently in sort of the approach to change. But the final option is also, you know, if you can't change the company, maybe you should change companies. And 
take that time to reflect and go, what kind of stuff do I enjoy doing? What am I, what am I both, not just what am I good at? You know, I'm good at accounting. It drains me. Uh, so I want to work on things that energize me as well as something that I'm good at. So find that intersection uh, and go and do those things. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's where we can have the most meaningful impact if we have the luxury to choose. Yeah. Um, one of the other reflections of those four, um, you mentioned rules and structure. And I think this is a fascinating point because uh, people in healthcare have a lot of concerns about this and, and maybe it's just human concerns in a workplace around yeah. how, to, how to find the balance between autonomy and alignment. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. It seems like we could be making a mistake at one extreme or the other. Yeah, so I think one of the things that that I found interesting, so I mean, when, when I joined Spotify, the company was about 700 people. And when I left four and a half years later, it was about 5,000. Um, that, that's quite a big change. And that's a, most importantly, is a very rapid change. So the, the company that I joined was not the same company that I left. It, it was vastly different over that time. Um, one of the things that was interesting with the autonomy aspect was that there, there was an enormous amount of freedom in the early days. But one of the challenges that a lot of folks, especially in the agile space, talk about is like, we don't have enough autonomy. And that's probably true for most of the environments that they've worked in. The flip side is that if you have a complete like overabundance of autonomy and a lack of alignment, what can be challenging is you're trying to essentially herd a bunch of cats in one direction. Um, and if you've ever tried to herd even a single cat, uh, you know how complicated that is, you know, <laughs> right. put two or three more in the mix and it, it it's kind of tricky. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think what there is, is that there's, there's an element of kind of trying to create some kind of aligning purpose, direction, motivation, this kind of thing uh, to say, yeah, we're trying to go this way. And we're, I mean, in, in uh, the lean world, I've heard of this thing of kind of doing multi kind of multivariate experiments or uh, multi-set uh, product development, that kind of thing. Um, there's a difference between intentionally trying three different strategies and then picking the one that wins uh, and doing that by accident, by mistake, or just unwittingly. Um, and there were definitely situations where we had that, you know, three teams trying to build an analytics tool to solve the same problem probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think every company will have an element of this, but that that for me is one of the downsides of, you know, kind of balancing the alignment autonomy. Um, I don't know that there's a perfect balance, but I, I definitely think it's something interesting that not a lot of people have been on the other end of that where they say almost, whoa, too much autonomy, not enough alignment, yeah. um, which was my experience in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think either, either can be problematic and I mean, it's it's situational. Um, you know, there, there are situations where, and, you know, people in healthcare, generally speaking, um, value their autonomy, but in a lot of cases, they've had no choice, but to be autonomous, the organization wasn't really actively trying to create alignment. And then if you start trying to have the pendulum swing back where, you know, too much autonomy can lead to, um, you know, variation in how care is provided, which can lead to bad outcomes, if not harm to a patient. So to have that uh, adult conversation around, I realize you value your autonomy. We're not trying to take it all away. You know, that's, that's you know, I think then the fear of, of people thinking, well, it's going to swing too far the other direction. Maybe just being mindful of that never-ending uh, challenge or that, that, that pendulum 
will probably just continue swinging. And I don't know if this is true from a physics perspective. It's not, <laughs> it's, I'm trying making it sound like a perpetual motion machine, but yeah, it's not easy to find where that should land. I, I, th- I think what's interesting is that when you start to bring together the, the, sort of if if we simplify it down to two different perspectives if you if you say there's one that's arguing for alignment and one that's arguing for autonomy it, it's obviously more complicated than that but if you if you sort of plotted them as as conflicting there's both positive and negative of alignment and there's both positive and negative autonomy and so when when we can have a healthy conversation about the positives and negatives of both aspects of that we can have a much healthier conversation about where is the balance for right now and what would it look like if we went too far in one direction or too far in the other direction so we don't end up overcorrecting um and i see a lot of orgs doing this is that like you know we're centralizing everything because the problem is decentralization and then two years later they're going the other way and so there's this back and forth very expensive restructure Mm -hmm. massive transformation kind of an approach whereas if you say in these contexts or in these situations or you know even just in a broad sense for the company we're going this way oh too far let's pull back a little bit not this kind of handbrake turn sort of approach that we often do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that helps a lot. Yeah. That, yeah, that figurative handbrake turn can be dangerous if uh, not executed <laughs> properly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it ends up in a sort of a strange situation often. And yeah, a lot of accidents happen in that approach. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you've done other things, uh, post Spotify, um, helping other organizations and coaching them. Um, what what are some of your thoughts on trying to either transfer experiences or do so in a way that's helping others with their circumstances, creating an environment where people are more able to learn from mistakes, to admit them, to mm-hmm. respond um, constructively and grow? Do you have some thoughts or you know uh, on, on how to coach people through that? Yeah, something that I've been quite interested in lately is the the concept of habits uh, and looking at this through the lens of from an organizational perspective. Um, if, if you think about things from a systems thinking perspective, we sort of assume that, you know, the, the behavior of the system is a product to some extent or people's behavior within a system is a product of the system. And so if, if you look at it through that lens and you say, okay, well, you know, let's say we see certain things happening that we consider to be positive, we want more of those, we could try to reduce the friction that, you know, around creating those behaviors. So um, if, if you've read the book Atomic Habits by mm-hmm. James Clear, a fantastic book, yeah. um, he uses this lovely metaphor of, you know, if you want to read your book more often, when you make your bed in the morning, put the book on the pillow, <laughs> right. the likelihood that you read it when you go to bed increases, right? If you're trying to eat less biscuits, you know, lock them in a box, uh, keep them at the back of the cupboard, hide the key in another room. That amount of friction doesn't necessarily mean you will never ever eat biscuits, but you go from, you know, this many biscuits to that many biscuits um, just by a little bit of a friction change. Um, and so I, I like to look at it from this perspective of like, you know, if we want to be more innovative, how could we remove the barriers to innovation? If we want more alignment, how could we introduce the appropriate types of friction to stop us going off track and to keep us on the path that we're trying to go on? Um, and so using these things to actually shift the behaviors. So instead of looking exclusively just at the outcomes at the end of the cycle, uh, let's talk about like, you know, 
would people start more things? Would there be more ideas bubbling up from the organization? Uh, let's say if we're trying to be innovative, um, you know, what, what would that look like? How can we catalyze those habits rather than just looking at it sort of at a, a process, procedure and policy kind of uh, level? Um, because I think, you know, if, if we want to be better in the future, we have to kind of act our way to that future. Um, and yeah, that's that's been a, a big piece of what I've been looking at recently. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of this is um, situational, depending on the starting point, the situation. What are you walking into? Is it a very new startup that is trying to, to you know, uh, be intentional about culture? Or is it, and, and maybe to all listeners who don't know the term scale up, a company that's further along and some culture is there, you know, whether they were intentional yeah. about it or not. So. So I, th- I think of it as kind of a, a slightly later stage startup. Um, so you're, you're scaling. You've probably found some kind of product market fit. You've at least got some sort of revenue. Um, you, you know that the idea works to an extent. And the question is how to meet that demand effectively. Um, and so it, it's less of a figure out what works and more, you know, do this thing at a larger scale. Um, which was exactly the point that I joined Spotify and, you know, vast majority of the clients that I've been working with are in that same situation. Um, there's not kind of a question of does this thing sell? Are people wanting to buy it? It's more how do we get it out to enough people, you know, launching new markets, acquiring things that plug into it, that kind of thing. Um, I think what's interesting in this and, and, we didn't yet touch on some of the sort of stuff around flight levels, but a, a big part of what this is, is about trying to figure out the appropriate layer within the organization. And I, I use the word cautiously. I, maybe I use the word level instead because it's, it's not actually hierarchical levels. The point is to say, you know, if, if we're working in the team, we can fix problems that relate to the team. But if you're trying to address sort of the strategic alignment of a company as a whole, you probably don't fix that by working inside every single team. You might do that by, you know, setting clearer objectives at the company level or maybe minimizing the quantity of different objectives because, you know, people don't tend to keep more than five or 10 things in their brain at a time. And so if we can make it, this is the current five big initiatives that we're focusing on. Suddenly you create clarity within the organization and, you know, with the appropriate flight level of understanding within that organization, you can move things in a much healthier direction um, without necessarily having to try to change the entire organization. Um, as I said before, I like to try to find the, the points of high leverage. And for me, flight levels is really an approach to finding those kind of things and saying, where do we look at which level in the organization uh, to make changes rather than just, you know, let's go and do a wholesale transformation where we teach everybody, you know, 200,000 person company that just, it, it takes too long and it often doesn't work in my experience. So, yeah, um, it it sounds like in a way, an inverse of the sailboat question of instead of where's the weak point or what's the threat to the weak point, this is looking more at what's our constraint, what to, as you call it, that high leverage point that really would drive the the biggest impact, like from even going back to older, dustier, quote unquote, lean manufacturing, there's kind of a a process um, often called strategy deployment that really tries to help focus as as you as you had said well in a different LinkedIn post there we we probably won't talk about it at length here of you know uh, not making everything a top priority like how many times have we seen that in you know I think of a healthcare system three hundred top initiatives and how yeah. many of them get done well not many because it's like you know it's just this there why why didn't number 
one get done? Well, because of number two. Why didn't two get done? Because well, because we're focused on number five, which also didn't. Yeah. Get done because of yeah. focus on number one. Yeah. I, I like the connection that you're drawing with the sailboat because I think at some level, what I was doing is I was making this conversation about the recruitment issue the most important thing, and quite frankly, it wasn't. Um, you know, so it, it, I think there is a lot of value in helping organizations to be able to make those decisions, both on a personal level. The, the the big part of the challenge I find is that I can make that choice for me personally. Chances are, if the two of us are trying to work together on something without something to guide us, though, the odds that we make different choices about what is the most important thing uh, is quite high. Uh, and if you scale that out to even the 700 people that Spotify had when I started, uh, it's already going to be unlikely that most people are going to pick the same thing. Uh, and so if we can try to create these things that focus people and say, yeah, actually, this is the biggest constraint, the biggest bottleneck, the biggest factor that will help us be successful. Let's make sure that we're at least, it's not the only thing that we do, but that we at least don't let the third thing or the fifth thing underneath that block the first one. So let's put as much energy uh, to streamline and, and accelerate number one um, before we put effort down the line. So we're not, as you said, bumping into each other and going, well, we didn't do one because we were doing two, because we were doing three, because we we're doing four. I mean, that's the thing. We just need to help company just need to, I, I catch myself whenever I say just, but you know, if, if we can get out of our own way internally and actually rather compete in the market or, you know, with kind of the broader industry rather than just being, um, you know, this department competes with that one and this project competes with that one. Uh, yeah, we can make a much, much better situation. Yeah. Well, I, again, we've been joined uh, by Cliff Hazel and you can learn more about him. We'll put links in the show notes at cliffhazel.com. Um, what, what are different ways that people can find you and work with you in different contexts. So you, you've, you, you, you mentioned flight levels. You have, I might, might be a mistake or something's not updated. You have a couple of different affiliations. Uh, yeah. So I, I teach flight levels. Um, I, I was the co-founder of the flight levels Academy with Klaus Leopold uh, and Katrin Dietze. Um, I'm no longer directly involved in the organization as, as kind of a founding member. Um, but I'm still involved in content creation and I spend a lot of time teaching and so on. Um, I found basically that I, I enjoy the hands-on work with uh, folks directly, uh, as opposed to kind of the, the company building aspect of it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm doing a bunch of stuff with flight levels. I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm trying to kind of get as much of the things that I've experienced out into the world, and uh, I say give it away. But I, I think I, I've learned a lot of things, and people seem to resonate with that. And I find myself often answering questions in in a way that you know, it resonates with others. And so I thought, well, let's try this out. Um, and so I've been for the last uh, six months, uh, very active on LinkedIn. Um, and I think a lot of folks are enjoying it. So I, I would love to connect with other people. Um, I love hearing their experiences, not just with the stuff that I'm talking about, but also, you know, what have they learned along the journey? People are adding a lot of ideas into the mix and saying, hey, we tried this thing. Uh, what about in that context? What have you seen? Um, and it, it's really quite a lot of fun. So uh, if you want to reach me, LinkedIn is the best uh, places you just said uh, google my name uh, and you will see me uh, there i'm very happy to connect or grab a follow uh, and come jump in and and we'll learn some cool things together well that's it's a great way to look at it i love that well yeah learning as you're helping and coaching others so uh, i will uh, encourage everyone to to go connect with cliff i'll put links in the show notes to linkedin website 
and other things uh, Cliff is uh, is up to. So this has been a lot of fun. You know, two different discussions, two different podcast series. Like I said at the beginning, you know, one without whiskey, and um, this was this was this was still fun uh, with water. And that sounds terrible. That was a mistake. Like I needed whiskey to have a good conversation with you that first time. That that's that's not true. Well, I mean, the first time we met, we did actually meet over whiskey in person uh, before we even did right. the podcast. So uh, I guess a continuation of that. I mean, I, I hope in the future we get an opportunity to have another whiskey again and, and have some more conversation. But uh, I'll, I'll take any conversation I can have with you with or without whiskey. So that's all good. <laughs> all right. Well, this, this was fun. So, yeah, uh, Cliff was in uh, Austin when we did that. If uh, if you're back near there or if if I find myself in Stockholm, I'll definitely reach out. That would be great. But thank you. That would be awesome. For, for being here. Thank you for sharing your story and your reflections. Um, Really, really appreciate it, Cliff. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to Cliff for being such a great guest today. To learn more about him and his work, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake232. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.